0: Welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host,
1: Mark Norquist.
0: Welcome to this new episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. My name is Mark, and I am your host for today's conversation, which is with the McGillis brothers. Jim, Alex, and Pierre Are three brothers who are all in their 40s. And what's unique about today's conversation is all three of these guys grew up without having any sort of hunting in their background. Uh, They grew up in Wisconsin and now all live now in Minnesota. And all of them midlife decided to start hunting. And so what we do is we have a conversation today about that as as to how that happened and and where it started and uh, i I just think these guys are great. I've known them all for for several years. and so I hope you enjoy this conversation about three brothers who are in the what's called adult onset hunting uh, world, and uh, they have a lot of a lot of fun together out in the woods, have met a lot of new people, and I hope you enjoy their story. Okay, today uh, I'm here with the McGillis brothers. We have talked about recording a podcast for years, and the reason being that I think it's really cool that uh, you guys all started hunting as adults Uh, and, and you hadn't done it when you were younger, but one by one, you all got, got into this. And so, uh, we're also joined today by Athena and Char here, Char the pup and Athena, Pierre's daughter, seven weeks, seven Seven months months, and a half, seven and a months and a half. She is beautiful and she's just having fun on the floor. Um, so why don't we just, uh, let's, let's just go around. Pierre, you and I first met in t- 2014. Is that what you're, is that? I think it, so. Yeah. You were
2: my mentor in 2015, but yeah. I met you at the, the trainings 2014. Yeah. you the first person I met at the DNR trainings.
0: <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. So you started hunting seven years ago. Have you, uh, have you continued since? I took a hiatus. I, I contracted a pretty debilitating case
2: of Lyme disease in 2015, and that really took it out of me. So only really feeling like I had my full energy in the last year or two. And last year, my daughter was um, still my wife was still pregnant and she the birth was going to be imminent so i didn't go hunting last year so i have hunted a couple times uh in the last few years but haven't put tons of energy into it and really feel like i have more energy to put towards it right now
0: okay that's great so maybe share a little bit about uh a little bit about background uh you guys you guys all grew up in milwaukee right is that does that Right or different different places. Yeah,
2: first few years in Milwaukee, then we yeah. moved to a suburb of Milwaukee. Okay,
0: gotcha, gotcha. So, did why don't why don't we just go around? Actually, who who else is here? So we got Pierre McGillis. Why don't we step step over here to the oldest? <laughs> sure, thanks, Mark. Uh, Jim
1: McGillis. Uh, I am the oldest of the three brothers. Um, as, as you noted, we all grew up in the. Mean Streets of Milwaukee, and then uh, ended up in the burbs for, for kind of late uh, elementary school and, and high school. Um, and then, uh, you know, from there, I eventually lived out east, went out east to school, but uh, came back, came to Minnesota, so I'm, I'm not from Minnesota originally, in 94 for grad school. And uh, since then, off and on, I'm uh, taking a little bit of time off to travel, but uh, like so many others, you marry a Minnesotan, and next thing you know, you're a Minnesotan. <laughs>
0: It happens. It happens a lot. Alex.
3: I'm Alex McGillis. Um, I ended up in Minnesota a little before my brothers. Came up here post-college years and uh, settled in. And uh, also now a Minnesotan much more than
0: a Wisconsinite. So you guys all became Minnesotans. You all became hunters. Started with Pierre in 2014, going out and trying it for the first time. And how did you convince these guys to start hunting after, after you, you took it on? Well, I convinced
2: Jim and then I think Jim, Alex might've had an interest that I wasn't sure of, but, but maybe, maybe Jim and Alex talked more, but I saw Jim as having an interest in the outdoors and I had such a powerful experience learning to hunt and I'm still learning, of course, but my first year was so great, met great people, and it added a new dimension to being outside. And I knew that he liked the outdoors. And I was seeing that his his boys were no longer little boys anymore. I mean, they were becoming boys, and maybe he had a little more time. And I just thought he'd be really interested in it. So I usually don't tell him what to do, because that's not going to work that historically hasn't worked well but this is one where I did push it a couple times I didn't say I, I think you have to hunt or your life's gonna be missing something but I said a couple times no I really think you should look at this I, th- I think you'd enjoy it um, and encouraged him to consider it and he he was open and I think he had he can speak for himself but I think he had a little more time in his life and did the same program I did and, and found it worthwhile from what I understand
0: yeah, the youngest usually can't tell the oldest
1: what to do, right? <laughs> yeah, and I, I second what Pierre said. My recollection is about the same. I think he started to send me uh, some articles on, on eating, maybe connection with food, connection with the environment. And although I always had a—I uh, was oriented towards the outdoors, had, had done my boundary waters trips uh, multiple times, Like to camp with the kids— uh, hunting is not something we grew up with, and initially, I think there was some either disinterest or maybe even pushback, because as you said, he, he was the younger brother. It was something he was getting into. Um, however, I, uh, I know that the experience he went through through the Minnesota DNR Adult Learn to Hunt, he viewed positively. And ultimately, that's really the first, you know, I think, consequential step I took was to learn to hunt through that adult class that was offered by the DNR at the time.
0: How old were you when uh, when you you did that?
1: About forty five years old. Okay, about seven years ago. Okay, and so yeah, as I as I recall, I was probably skewed a little little high on the age, even within that adult learn to hunt group. But um, there were, as I recall, I mean there was a mix of folks in there. Um, you know, but we had one thing largely in common that is we didn't grow up in a kind of a strong hunting culture within our family. Now our extended family, our there are hunters, there's, there's, there's fisher, fisher people, but, uh, you know, our father just, uh, wasn't, it wasn't something he did.
0: He's, he's got, is, is he still around? No. no. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, Alex, what happened? Well,
3: prior to peer participating in the program that Started him off hunting. I had several years of interest. I, I was fascinated, as I am by many things in life, by the mechanism. What happens when somebody goes hunting? And I was very much an indoor kid and a city kid. Um, and I grew up not even really liking the outdoors that much. Um, I don't like baking in the hot sun. I don't like bugs. I don't like getting dirty. And um, so I wasn't drawn to the outdoors late in life I fell in with um a group of friends who um have a very outdoor centric life with bicycling and camping and doing adventurous things the outdoors and I started participating in those things and, and very much um uh grew into liking them concurrently I had this this interest in in what hunting was all about I've as I got older you know I'd come across people who um Hunted that I work with, and you know they disappear in November. Um, I remember growing up, um, and you know there were always kids who left school for um, Thanksgiving, all of Thanksgiving week in Wisconsin, and they were going deer hunting, and that was just a big mystery. And it wasn't a mystery that gnawed at me, but it's a mystery I wanted uncovered and I wanted known. And. I also wanted to know, as I said, the mechanism. I, what do you do? Like, wh- what do you wear? Where do you go? How do you go? Do you sit all day? Do you do you like, I don't know, do you just drive somewhere and there's deer and you shoot it? Um, I These were just great mysteries for me to unfold. Now, I had a friend who... Um, for a couple of years then prior to participating in the program, a friend who uh, I had asked, um, Hey, could you show me the rope sometime? Take me out like a day you go hunting. And it was always like, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the, the hunting season would roll around and, you know, it'd be tumbleweeds, which was fine. And in, in retrospect, I understand, um, the challenge it, it is to, bring somebody hunting without any experience, without any knowledge. Um, there has to be some prep and, and some, some learning before you actually go out in the field and do it. When Pierre went through the program, I got really enthused, and I kind of had it on my calendar to um, uh, look for the program the following year. Well, the following year rolled around, I never saw anything, and I get the newsletters from the DNR, and I, I kind of keep my ear to the ground, but never saw anything. And then I found out my older brother, Jim, Participate, excuse me, participate in the program. And, uh, I was like, what, how'd you, how'd you find out about it? We may not have been talking all that much back then. <laughs> it, that, that, that is true. So, um, the third year or the, the, the third year after Pierre first did the program, um, I, I applied and was fortunately accepted. That's how I ended up.
0: Starting so, it. so three years in a row, 14, is that what we figured out think, a few minutes ago? Mm-hmm. 14, 15, 16. I just think it's interesting three brothers in their forties decide sort of independently but together to to hunt now have you Have you guys had a chance to go out hunting together? all of you
3: yes, uh our first opportunity was my second year okay um, the d n r had uh w- was trying out trying to figure out i think um what direction they're going to take this program, um, introducing hunters and they're, they're kind of working out wrinkles and, and trying to see what, what works with, with new hunters. And, uh, we were asked to participate in a, a, pilot program, um, of doing a third year hunt where we were guests, um, on somebody's land. Yeah. And I'll let one of these guys talk about that experience.
1: Yeah, we. Uh, so I think it was my third year, and probably your second year, right? It was my second year, but I did prior to doing this third
3: year, quote unquote. I did a second year weekend uh, hunt uh,
1: in in preseason. So you were able to graduate right to the third year, correct? Yeah. So the uh, the, the president of the the Minnesota Deer Hunting Association at the time. Um, uh, he, invited us or invited a group or, or maybe asked the DNR to identify, you know, a group of hunters or one or two who would benefit from an opportunity to to kind of take that next step. Because uh, the DNR program was, um, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it, when I went through it, it was pretty well organized and it culminated in a mentored hunt, which took place at St. Croix State Park. But after that, right after the program, the question is, and I'm sure faced by people who Administer programs. What do these hunters do? Do 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 the folks going through this continue as hunters? So I think this was at least, as, as Alex indicated, an option to or, or a an effort to continue that that process for some. So we were we were either by happenstance or choice. I don't rec- remember quite how it happened. The three of us all hunted together at this a uh, private o- uh, homeowner's land. We were uh, north. Northwest of Grand Rapids, as I recall, and um, this this gentleman cultivated his land intentionally with deer plots. Um, he was also really into forest preservation, um, uh, hard forest development, and uh, so that was that was an opportunity to hunt together. It was we were able to sleep in not in cots but in uh, bunk beds and beautiful house. Enjoyed some great meals, um, camaraderie. And uh, it culminated in one of us getting a deer, but it wasn't me <laughs> <laughs> and who got the deer
3: uh that was my first uh first deer taken um, the as jim said we we were fortunate enough to um, sleep in a, a beautiful home and and be um, uh, treated beautifully by Doug and Linda Applegren. Uh, on their homestead and uh, we could get up and walk out the door and uh, walk to our stands and in 10 minutes it was great. Now Doug and Linda built this house and they, they have a very thoughtful layout on, on a, I think it's like was it 180 acres or something? 160 160 acres pretty pretty substantial chunk of land up in northern Minnesota and they, they thought about it very carefully and in their master bedroom, they have uh, like laying in front of their bed, like in, in the way you might view. They have a sliding glass door, and out that glass door, in the distance, is a, a field that they planted with um, uh, rapeseed. And overlooking that field <laughs> is a is a deer stand. <laughs> um, so they, for most of the year, can watch the deer come and feed <laughs> uh, from their bedroom. and De- Deer stand was called the Taj Mahal. I they think, they called them. him. <laughs> so we all took, we all took, um, we all took uh, uh, turns in the Taj Mahal. These guys took turns before me on that, that weekend. It was the opener weekend of that particular year. And um, at the end of the weekend, it was Sunday night. It was getting late. I, th- I think I went out there about 4 o'clock to... Wind down. None of us had gotten a deer. Um, only a few deer had been spotted. It was frigid cold out, as as it happens at that time of the year. So I went in the Taj Mahal, and Doug followed me in, and he turned the, turned a little heater on, a little propane heater. And um, the, the seating in the Taj Mahal was a papasan on on a, on a lazy Susan, and then there were little windows all around the <laughs> circumference, so you could spin and watch everything coming around you. And as happens, uh, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes before the end of shooting hours, uh, a buck came up and, um, I can't say it was the most sporting, uh, deer I'll ever take, but, um, it presented itself and I (laughs) took advantage of the the shot there.
0: So is this the first animal you had killed and taken?
3: It is. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so were these guys nearby where they were able to come over and, and uh, help in the in the field they heard the shot
3: um, and it was so close to the end of shooting hours I think they were they came in very quickly after I yeah I did it and I waited for them um, to
0: uh,
3: dress the deer um, so we took some photos yeah. dressed it and
0: yeah. Now, did, did Doug come over and help you guys sort of point, and, but you guys got your hands dirty, all of you? Or? I, by my recollection,
3: I think I, with Doug's help, did, um, did the labor of dressing the deer. Um, and Doug also did help by bringing out a little four wheeler and dragging the deer uh, back to the homestead for me so we didn't have to pull it back. Although, since then, I realized that's not that much of a burden. Yeah, uh, to drag it here. Yeah, it was
1: late. It was dark. The The snow was flying. And so I think Pierre and I were both, uh, we were both hands off and, and probably in a little bit of awe of just yeah. the moment is, is you, you may recall the, the first time you, or the second time or the third time you witness uh, an animal that size uh, taking its last breaths. It's, it can be emotional, even though we weren't the, the, the shooters there. So I, I remember Alex, you know, doing some of the work and probably Doug doing...
0: Most of the dirty work. Yeah, it's 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 good to have an experienced hunter with you because that can be o- overwhelming. Field dressing a deer. A lot of people have, you know, there are stories, and and I've talked to an, a number of people who've talked about being out in the field with a phone and looking at YouTube to <laughs> to figure out how to dress the animal. Now, which is that's that's a tough situation. How was it for your first
2: time, Pierre? Well. Jay did most of the work. I'll say it was very late on a Sunday. Um, and it, the DNR weekend had really already finished, but there were a couple of us who still wanted to hunt, and Jay was down with that. So um, he he did much of it, I'll say that. I mean, I was right there, smelling, looking, holding, chest open. Yeah. Um I think it was the right decision because he was already kind of spending some extra time with me. <laughs> But in, and that's the only deer I've killed, but the next one I'm, I'm interested in doing most of it myself, whatever the circumstance yeah.
0: is. you know, it is, um, have you guys been part of butchering? One of the things I, I, I realized a few years after, after, you know, introducing people to hunting is how, um, people are sort of drawn to the idea of, of butchering an animal and that process, which, which I, is interesting because, you know, when I grew up, Um, hunting most of the time you would head to the, to the local meat locker, most people I knew, and you'd have, have them process your deer. And, and it was, I think as much a factor of you didn't have enough time, but also did you have the space, the skill, et cetera. Uh, but I, I love it and I love, I love the process of it. And, and I love seeing people who are really fascinated with it. And, and so, I mean, have you guys been part of that process of, of butchering the actual animal after the field dressing?
2: This DNR program was so great. Uh, a couple of days after I killed the deer, um, uh, went over to Ben Pena's house, a generous mentor and he jay and some others all helped uh, me and a man named greg who was also in the program butcher so that was meaningful it was meaningful to be part of that process it made it real Um, and i knew nothing about that i knew nothing about how an animal becomes food on my plate so that was part of the honesty that drew me to deer hunting and this experience and i'll let alex speak i think he's done way more since if i'm if i'm not mistaken as far as butchering
3: my introduction was also through ben um ben pena uh really devoted mentor and extraordinarily uh generous person um with his time and and everything else he uh in my i think it was my first year um had some folks over uh to his own home um, and had some of the people from our hunting group that first year hunting group uh I believe it was two women brought their deer over, and we butchered them at Ben's in Ben's garage. And the group of us there, probably a half dozen or so, um, all pitched in, helped. Some took turns, like, you know, skinning a bit or cutting a limb off. Uh, and we all worked on deboning and, and pulling hair out and bagging it up. Um, <clears throat> and that was a, a wonderful experience. And subsequently, I've done every deer that I've gotten. Um, gaining a little confidence with each one. Last
1: year, Jim helped me. We spent a Saturday, I think, uh, in uh, South Minneapolis, started in the garage and uh, brought it inside and worked all day. And uh, yeah, it was satisfying. I I mean, I agree, Mark, it's it's pretty intimidating for me. I mean, you talk about learning to field dress from a YouTube video. I mean, to me, that's a piece of cake, or at least compared to the idea of butchering. But I've been exposed to it a couple times now. I mean, Alex was uh, brave enough and and was able to plan. You know, this day where we worked worked hard together on on his deer. Um, I've harvested two deers I mean, the last two deer the last two years, and I have brought them both to the processors. Um, partly based on you know weather, based on time, a little bit of work commitment, and also knowing that I was going to. Uh, Work with Alex on on, on his animals. So uh, I think it's kind of the next the next step. I mean, this is only kind of year six. I've, I've harvested two deer in, in a row, hoping you know to make it another, and and probably ready to take that step. But um, you know, that, to me, it's clearly one unless you have someone who's done it and a mentor. That that's a tough one just to bite off by yourself.
0: It can be intimidating, absolutely. And uh, and I think the, the the time factor for me. Uh, for many years, that was that was a big part of it. Was I had so little time off that you're you're getting back late on a Let's say a Sunday night, and you got to be working the next morning, and to just find find the time to get it done can can be challenging.
2: It, right, and with little kids, I'm just imagining for you, um, <laughs> exactly. fitting everything yeah. in. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do it uh, in the future. So gl- glad there's people around who have uh, who have been learning can teach me this.
0: Have you did, Alex? Did you come to the butchering clinic we we've done a few times? I thought maybe you had. I don't think you guys have come or, with maybe, modern Carnival? Yeah, with modern Carnival. I haven't. Okay, because we do that. And you guys, you guys should come this fall. We do it right around Thanksgiving, uh, and uh, we've had people come that have no interest in in hunting. They they're not going to hunt, but they just want to see the process and are fascinated by it. And again, that's I think that's pretty cool. Hey listeners, this is Mark, and I hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. I just wanted to let you know that in the coming days, we're going to open up registration for our Upland Bird Hunting course on Hunting Camp Live, and this could be your opportunity to take part in a self-paced online masterclass with support from live interactive webinars and our outdoor mentor community. If this sounds like it might be something for you, or maybe a friend who's been thinking about starting a hunt, just go to modcarn.com forward slash upland birds to get more information. Now there's a limited class size, so make sure you check it out today so you can reserve your spot. Now back to the podcast. So you guys have all harvested deer. You've all gotten deer, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, been successful it obviously seen the the sort of the, the the challenge of it the joy of it the difficult part of it the emotional side of it you know Pierre you and I hunted years several years ago and I was your mentor um and uh and we had a little bit of a situation and so you and I haven't really talked about it a whole lot and so I don't know if you're you're up for for chatting about it, but
2: yeah, we were we were hunting and at Saint Croix State Park, and it was my second year of hunting, and it was near the end of the shooting time for the first day, which was Saturday, and out came a deer, and to make a long story sh- short, I took a shot and wasn't a successful shot; was not a kill shot, and. Next day, tried to track it, spent some hours, had a lot of help from the mentors there, and found a little bit of blood and It was a tough experience i mean it was it felt and felt cruddy i mean to 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 put it mildly it was a it was a really crappy feeling i didn't i mean i wasn 't trying to hurt the animal, of course, but I realized in retrospect i wasn 't as present as I would have liked to be like I was kind of feeling sick i was I was kind of having the Lyme disease then and Um, The first year when I shot a deer, I was, I was extremely present. I knew what I was doing. I was breathing. I was feeling my body. Um, and it was right through the heart this year or that second year. I just kind of took a shot and I won't say it was a wild shot. It wasn't. I mean, I aimed, um, but in retrospect, I wasn't as present as I could have been. And that's kind of my regret about it. I still don't know what happened to the deer. I mean, I initially I had the assumption the deer died and kind of had bad scenarios in my head, kind of like bled out, mauled by coyotes. That could have been the case. I'm not sure. Uh, and that, that makes it a little harder as well. I mean, did I hit it on its leg and it hurt, but then it somehow recovered and ran free for a couple more years? I mean, I like to think so. Or, or did it die? But, yeah, it affected me strongly. Um, felt really, felt really crappy and, and still doesn't feel good. I've made some peace with it that, um, it, it informs now how will how i will go forward. I mean, I just have kind of, I can't, and I'm not saying I'll be perfect, but my vow is don't take a shot unless I'm steady and very present. And that means physically present. Yes. But also emotionally present. Um, then I won't have any regrets. I understand that mistakes happen. Hunting isn't, isn't a hundred percent. We know that. And even shooting, but, and I shot more. Um, I I mean, I had gone to the range a couple times that year, but rifles were still so new to me. I, I wasn't especially familiar with that weapon, even in retrospect, but since then I've bought a rifle and like my vow this fall is, I know this is more than most experienced people will, but minimum three, probably four times to the range, just to make sure that I have a little more comfort and acumen with my shooting. So yeah, that is, that is a source of regret. It does, it uh, definitely has not felt good. Um, but I guess I like to say it's a teachable, teachable moment for me. Yeah.
0: And absolutely. You know, and, and I know it, um, I know it was, it was something that you weren't comfortable with, you know, you and I talked about it after, and you just, or just talked about the situation in general, but I know you, you didn't want to go in, in deep on it. And I think that's something that I appreciate you sharing because a lot of people who are new to hunting um, that very well is, is something that the a situation that, that could come about. And it's, and it's something everybody need, you need to get your head around. And, and like you said, I think as long as you're, you're preparing as much as you can, you are present, you know, hopefully, hopefully you're, you're present there in that moment and doing your best to take that animal's life in a quick, clean kill. Um, you know, that's how, that's, that's all you can do. Uh, if, if, if you're going to hunt, that's everything you can do. And, you know, I was sitting there right next to you and, and you'd, from the outside, you did everything right. You know, um, it was, it was, it was really a good situation and it, you know, it just didn't work out the way we wanted it. So. yeah, Mark, I had a similar situation. It was my fourth
1: year, Second or third year, no, third or fourth year hunting. I think it was the first year, independent of of anybody else. Um, Alex and I were in public land. God bless public land, Pine County, Minnesota. And um, you know, I I I, I won't. I'll, I'll spare some of the details, but I I, I, I shot I shot at a buck, and um, you know, having gone through the class, immediately just relaxed. Took some time coming off the stand knew that I hit it. In fact, I had hit it, picked up a blood trail. And then, um, <laughs> unfortunately it went from public land to private land. And uh, this was at the, 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 twilight hours as, as the sun's going down. Um, so tracked as far as I could, uh, actually found the land owner in his stand who, um, was kind enough to kind of indicate that the animal had gone down, um, uh, and as I walked towards the the stand, he indicated just with a visual signal, you know, animals over there. And this this is where experience or inexperience came into play. And I took a big swivel 90 degrees to my right to look at the, the deer that was down, crunched a stick, and that buck jumped up and just took off. And um, I said, twilight hours. At that point, I called my brother, Alex. We were hunting together. He, and I think... I'm not sure if 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 he was probably in the stand for because it was the last few minutes. But he came over and we searched uh, back and forth with a GPS, you know, trying to 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 kind of get a grid system and, and track this. Lost the blood trail. Um, felt absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. Came back the next day. Um, I did. Knocked on the door of the deer camp uh, of of uh, these guys. Explained what had happened. They let me go back and, and look and I spent another couple hours. So um, uh, you know, a lot of regrets there. Uh having shared it with a couple hunters after that, almost needing to to spill out what had happened. Found out that a lot of people have had that experience. And um I mean, like Pierre said, it's something that I didn't want to have happen again. And um I think the, the, the solution or at least the takeaway was time on the range, um uh, experience with the gun. Making sure it's the right shot, despite saying all this. I mean, anybody who's been up there, I think younger hunters, and I put myself in the category of a newer hunter, you get buck fever. I mean, when that animal comes, you 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 shake initially, and so um, really satisfied last year. Though I, uh, I mean, not to close the loop on it, but um, you know, certain shots I chose not to take last year. Uh, I mean, opening day, I had a. I had a doe and her her fawn right under my stand minutes after after uh, opening opening light chose not to shot, shoot and uh, later in the season uh, you know took down a a large doe from about seventy five yards in a single shot um, so with hope lessons learned but yeah you know painful and a little bit of reckoning as to, as to whether you know I'm cut out for this
3: yeah. and I can attest to his distress he um he he was very much in angst uh, about that situation to the point where that evening he was ruminating on maybe hunting is not for me, if this is going to happen. Um, and I think this is something that was instilled, in. and I think we're very fortunate to have had the mentorship and the training we did. We were, sa- safety and responsibility and ethical hunting was was presented to us. Um, and so we entered with that mindset, and that's how I think we've hunted, um, um, from the get go. And, um, I think that's, that's a really important thing. I haven't seen it in every other, every hunter, um, I've come across, um, the, the ethics of it, the, the, the responsibility, um, the gravity of taking a life, um, to feed yourself.
2: Yeah. I'll just add that, uh, it's something maybe I wouldn't have understood 20 years ago, and maybe some people who don't hunt don't understand, but I love animals and I love deer. I don't mean I just love eating them. Of course they're tasty. I mean, I love them as animals. I think they're amazing. Um, and I to me, they are something important and special and um, worthy of respect. So I, I like what my brothers are saying about the, the ethical component for me is integral. I'd rather not have. I don't need it to survive and subsist um, at this time. So I would rather... I'd rather feel good what I'm doing. I mean, that said, I would really love to kill a deer this year, and do it in a good way. But um, I want to do that from a certain from a certain place of integrity.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, and, and uh, so obviously that's a personal um, challenge with hunting. Is is that situation of, of getting comfortable with? Are you prepared enough? Have you done everything you can possibly do to? To take an ethical shot, um, that's more of a personal thing. There, there are other components of starting to hunt that could be challenging. That you know are are just social or or other things with other people. Have you, have you guys run into situations? Do you have friends? Do you have colleagues? Others where you guys are in your mid to late forties, starting to hunt, um, never done it before. Is that are, do you get questions like why why would you do that? You know, you live in a big metro area with a lot of people who who aren't familiar with hunting probably.
3: I have evangelized to my friends about the joys of hunting and it's not just going out and shooting an animal t- to bring home for meat. Um for me and I th- I imagine for my brothers and many other people who who do this part of the joy was opening up the outdoors to me and and finding the pleasure of being outside the rejuvenation um, of being in nature um, getting to know nature um, uh, and mark this is something you and I have talked about very briefly in the past but my first weekend hunting it was warm out I was in a t-shirt and jeans and I was sitting on a log with my mentor 20 feet behind me and it was just gorgeous weather and it was extraordinarily Pleasurable and fulfilling, just sitting there and seeing the forest wake up and go to sleep and its patterns throughout the day, and getting to know the critters that are surrounding you—the squirrel that you think's a deer every time it rustles a leaf, and the different kind of birds that come around—and and and then the the the, of course the thrill if and when you see a deer um, is unspeakable. Um, So it's it's really the pleasures of being in nature that have been the most rewarding thing so far for me. And I think getting a deer and and butchering it and eating it has been a secondary, but very, very close second. Um, uh, I am really drawn to nature in a way I never had been before in my life.
2: Yeah, it adds an intensity to being outside. I've hiked ever since I was a teenager and ran cross country and always loved woods. Um, but it adds an extra element. It adds an intensity to my perceptions and it's powerful to be a participant. And, and what drew me initially was hunting to hunting was just a sense of disconnection from food and nature that I think is so common in, in the modern worldview and modern society. So, so being a participant, we are nature, we are nature as well. And yes, there's ethics with that, but there's an intensity. I sometimes am teaching, I'm a high school teacher and I'm with my students, but in the back of my mind, I'm just imagining being outside hunting, uh, cause there's something about, that, that feels very enlivening about it, and Alex articulated that well.
1: Yeah, Mark, to go back to your original, let's say question, uh, but but maybe topic. I've I've had no no pushback or, or or awkward moments. If anything, some people are kind of surprised, you know, that that I that, that I hunt. Maybe don't necessarily look the part. Um, tall, skinny guy, just like my. My brother Pierre, we, we both ran and and I still do, um, and I didn't grow up with it, uh, and I live out in the burbs, and, you know, I, and I drive a Subaru, you know, not a Ford F one fifty, but if anything, I found this as a connection to to many people, and there actually there are many people who don't again maybe look the stereotypical look people in my neighborhood, you know, the, the one of the guys I work with, and suddenly it does open up a topic of uh, 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 of of co-interests in both nature, you know, in hunting, in the environment, in, in conservation to, to, you know, to some degree, depending on the person, on the eating component of it, the cooking component. So to, to me, it's actually been a, a opening to this, this other community. Um, and part of that is, is, is just some of the, the, the people I've met, you know, including you. I mean, uh, again, I, I don't recall exactly where we met, but it was probably on this Minnesota DNR Learn to Hunt, um. You know, there's some my brothers speak about uh, you know kind of eyes opening as to you know as as to nature. There's some kind of formal pieces to that, like organizations such as you know I don't know if I can drop names. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, you know, an advocacy group focused on public lands uh, as kind of their core mission for hunting and fishing. You know that that's that that's something i'm involved in now something that that uh may have been on my radar screen on to some degree the environmental components of or the the political and, and other components of public land but now i take much more seriously and support with both time and dollars and and you know interest so to me that's kind of a spin off of things i didn't necessarily anticipate when i joined or, or took that first learn to hunt class, but, um, you know, it's been, it's been kind of a rich piece of, of, of coming late to, late to hunt it late in my life to
0: hunting. Do you think, uh, do you think hunting, uh, would help people be more uh, environmentally and conservation, environmentally focused and conservation minded if more people hunted?
2: I'll speak to that. Yes, I think so. Whether they killed or harvested an animal or not, it would it would put you more in the environment as opposed to this idea that the environment is something out there that we're separate from. No, you're in it. You're in it in a very deep way. You feel that connection. That's been my experience. Um, and I like to think it, it tunes me into the cycles, the cycles of life. And death is natural. Um, obviously, there's there's ways of death that aren't good. We know that but it is part of life and to have a more intimate relationship with that, um, to me is part of being a conservationist.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah,
1: I'd I'd say just absolutely. I agree with if, if I I don't want to say there's an, one can be an environmentalist or into conservation on its own terms, but I think for me, hunting has increased my awareness, my sensitivity, to the role of public lands and the role of hunters in in conservation generally. Again, it, it always existed, and some of this may be old news to people who have been you know hunting since they're twelve years old. But when you come late to it, and suddenly, uh, what happens in Minnesota with the DNR? What happens across the border in Wisconsin where I have a I have a cabin? What happens in Washington D.C. with the renewal of uh, uh, legislation, which impacts public lands and financing what happens out west in Montana and Wyoming, places i 've never hunted, but maybe someday will i mean suddenly I care about that stuff and and so I do think for some people it 's just a segue and a way to 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 become more involved in those again, maybe not a prerequisite, but for me it, it has spurred a a deeper acknowledgement of all the other of all the people working in this area and all the forces. Um, kind of pushing back as well
0: yeah was um was handling firearms an obstacle was it new to to you guys
2: i'd like to start with that that was perhaps the biggest obstacle besides the idea that i had no i i I didn't know at all just like alex was talking about how to even do the first step into this world i was quite intimidated by rifles and i wasn't so much anti-gun but there was some fear of rifles there is some fear of guns there's i don't like really loud noises to this to this day i want to get into bow hunting um uh, for that reason um so again the dnr program uh, demystified this topic a little bit and there were a few other people who hadn't shot guns much before um so i've gotten to see the rifle as a tool i don't idolize it as as something amazing to worship, nor do I demonize it. I look at it as a tool to treat with respect, and I really like the rifle that I bought, and it's been meaningful to have a, for lack of a better term, a good relationship with this and get to know this know this tool well. So I can't say I love shooting um, because of the, the sound and the noise. I still find it a little bit jolting, um, but I have gotten a lot more comfortable with it in the last few years
3: with everything Pierre just said uh, wholeheartedly and firearms was one of those mysteries that um, unfolded when I started doing this Um, along with the whole process of hunting was you know how do you hold a gun how do you shoot it Um, uh, what are the parts Um, it it was all a big mystery and in the same way I've also settled in with it's a tool and and um, I don't I don't think about it much outside of hunting season. It sits in a closet, and and I keep the bolt in a lot in a safe, and um, there it is.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I don't have all my much more to add. You know, I had BB guns as a kid. I, I love to shoot the target. I love to uh, go outside, and and to to my shame, I probably shot shot a few sh- uh, songbirds and chipmunks along the way without a good reason. So, um, uh, but. Uh, I, but, but other than that, uh, again, not a whole lot more to add. I, I feel a great component of the, of, what, of the program we went to through and, and was the firearms piece of it. And so, I mean, like my brothers, I've got, I've got one rifle. Yeah. You know, I, I were, I'm thinking of buying a, uh, uh something else, maybe a, a shotgun, you know, to, to expand the possibilities for hunting. But, um, you know, it, Happy to be at this place, and, 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 you know, I can't imagine ever owning more than, you know, a gun or two.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, you jumped into the deep end to a certain extent with, with uh, hunting large, large animals with deer. Uh, the good thing uh, is, you know, you, w- w- one shot and you got a lot, a lot in you, uh, to fill your freezer. Uh, have you thought about other types of hunting? Any, any plans or have you done anything?
3: Um, I have. I also have a twenty-two that I bought um, in order to do some small game hunting, squirrel and rabbit. And the handful of times I've been out, I've haven't been successful. Um, the squirrels are not as plentiful and large as they are in my yard back in <laughs> the city, uh. um, which is fine. It's still has gotten me out at other times of the year when I wouldn't, probably wouldn't have chosen at a different time in my life to willingly walk into the some woods bundled up um, for
1: hours on end. You know, I could see potentially getting into... Um some level of bird hunting. I mean, maybe, maybe not duck hunting. That seems like a equipment-intensive process. You need to know your place. It's, it, I mean, for the same reason, you need a, a mentor, some guides, and for deer hunting, it seems to apply to deer hunting. But something like a turkey hunt, maybe some waterfowl shooting. Um, for me, it's more a function of of time and kids. You know, uh, I mean, I've got a wonderful, supportive wife who understands that this is something important to me. And in fact. Thank goodness. You know, we finally found uh, uh, something I enjoy to do. And so she doesn't have to buy me um, uh, uh, yoga lessons or or golf lessons or all these things that just didn't really take. Um, And so so I can see doing that. But as my kids are getting to that age, uh, like yours, Mark, I mean, mine are kind of entering teenage uh, years, which allows me a little more freedom and a little more time. And so I can see doing that down the road. But uh, to date, not. Everybody... I've ever
3: spoken to about turkey hunting, which has been people I've met through the DNR, um, adult Learn to Hunt program has said, it's a blast It says it's a lot of fun. So that's on my radar or something to possibly do someday.
2: And, uh, again, I'm, I'm just starting to get into bow hunting and I have a traditional recurve bow. Um, but I have Jay, his mentor, did Jay. Jay, help you. Oh get yeah. I saw girlfriend. him a couple weeks ago. He helped me kind of get it set up. <laughs> yeah. And, nice. But he joked, he said, well, maybe we'll go small game hunting in the winter, he said, which really is an excuse just to walk through the w- woods and shoot some stumps. I mean, he was talking about the odds of, <laughs> at 10 yards <laughs> right, getting, a, right. getting something. But I think I'm going to be walking through the woods differently like that, and yeah. it's going to add add some excitement.
0: I think it does add, like you said just there, That we, what a great example of where, um, sure, you can just go for a walk in the woods, but there's there's an added element of... of of excitement that if you are going to take your bow with you or if you 've got the gun, even though you know the odds are stacked <laughs> against you, but it just adds a component that I think is pretty neat
2: it makes makes me pay attention more, adds an element of mystery,
0: yeah,
2: uh, and again, I love just the hiking and I love. The hunting too. They're just slightly different phenomena.
0: Uh, you know, I'm I always say I'm a generalist. Uh so I I I do a lot of different types of hunting, all of them very mediocre. <laughs> is it is it you is it that you take
3: advantage of what's in front of your face at that yeah. time of the year? Or do you plan it out? Like, you know what, this year I wanna go for elk and I wanna go on a trip and get a bear and Um, did you segment your time out like that? Yeah.
0: So, I mean, it, it, there are some cornerstone elements of what I grew up doing. So, you know, early on in the fall, the, the, literally encompasses all seasons for the outdoors and goes beyond hunting, goes into fishing, goes into, uh, foraging things like that. And the full outdoor experience. Uh, but you know, from a hunting standpoint, you know, here in Minnesota, I'll, I'll start with, you know, with grouse hunting, you know, er, early season, uh, I won't miss waterfowl opener or deer opener, which are big traditions with my family. And so those are big sort of tent pole events and, uh, Oh, my gosh, Jim just brought out some uh, cheese and meat platter. This looks this looks really good. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Mark. No, 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 this, no. this is the 2020
1: harvest um, uh, of mine. Oh, my he, gosh. He, he shot that cheese. <laughs> 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 now the Ritz crackers are from the pantry, yeah. <laughs> but the... Uh, The uh, venison sausage and steak are uh, from a a deer taken at the St. Croix State Park, Minnesota, special hunt. Okay. Um, uh, Alex and I stuck it out all the way to the third weekend of the Minnesota... Uh, the third and final weekend yeah. of the Minnesota rifle season. And uh, yeah, took that deer, and my back is still paying for it uh, about <laughs> eight months later.
0: You didn't have the four wheeler on that one? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not in a state park. That was a brutal hike. Um,
3: Mark, I want to ask about you. And so you hunt year round or fish, or you keep active with those harvesting activities. Are you successful?
0: every time you go out. No, absolutely not. Um, you know, I was just uh I just spent the last few days uh fishing up in north central Minnesota. Uh, For walleye one night, we went out one night, we did get a couple fish, but then we went, uh, my son and I were heading over to, we went over to um, Lake Superior and we were going to head out and try to get some lake trout, go after some lake trout with my nephew, but the weather just wasn't conducive. So there's an example, we drove across state and I knew it was not, again, I knew the odds were stacked against us we had a great trip regardless, you know, we went, we went out there, but we weren't able to get out in the water because they're big rollers. It was just in a, in my nephew at a small boat, we would have been out on, um, you know, when it comes to hunting. Yeah. Like to me, uh, the, the best example would be grouse hunting where, you know, you can go out on a fall day and maybe you don't see a bird depending upon where you're at, or you hear a flush in the distance or a couple, uh, you don't get a, you don't even get to take a shot, you still have a great time. Uh, it's, uh, you know, especially with something like grouse hunting, the environment is so beautiful. The days are dry and crisp. There's not a better time of year to be out. Um, I went, you know, for, for deer hunting, the, uh, on, on opening weekend that I always do at my family hunting shack, I I went for a number of years, uh, back in probably the early nineties where I, I didn't see a deer some years and I didn't get a deer for several years. And, uh, that was just the nature of, of where things were at at that, at that. It, It was disappointing, uh, with a small D because you didn't fill the freezer, um, but there's so much that's part of the hunting experience beyond just filling the freezer. That's like the, that's the ultimate piece of it. So like this platter right in front of us that Jim just set down that we can enjoy this and tell these stories. And he can talk about that deer he got in the state park and, and, and re- relive that moment. That's that is the ultimate part of the experience, but it's not the only part it's, it's being with family. It's being with friends. It's getting out in nature. It's the things like you said and actually here, here it is. I put it, I wrote it down cause I actually had you send it to me a couple of years ago. I asked the question cause you had hunted two years, right? You had hunted two years and you decided you wanted to do some mentoring, which I think is great because I think, um, you put it in the context of, Hey, I'm not, I'm not the most seasoned hunter, but I want to help somebody learn how to hunt. And, uh, I asked the question. So we were doing this mentor training and you came and attended it. And I, I was leading the small group at table with Alex and I, and I asked the group, what's your favorite type of hunting? And I was expecting, you know, simple things. If I like to deer hunt, I like to squirrel hunt, what have you. And this was Alex's response. And I think it's a great, and you touched on this a little bit ago, but I just wonder if you'd be, I mean, if you, if you read that, cause I think it's, it's such a great example of, of the hunting experience.
3: Uh, this is what I, so this is what I wrote. I like watching the forest wake up with the sun, letting the mysteries of the darkness slowly unfold. I like getting to know the trees and animals surrounding me as I stare at them through the day. I like the moments of suspense when you hear the crinkle of dry leaves and your mind goes on high alert until you figure out that it's just another squirrel. I like the (laughs) contemplation that I rarely have at other times. I like hiking through the landscapes I might not have otherwise explored. I like when abstractions on a map become concrete from experience. I like the scouting, the planning, and the building excitement leading up to it. And I like the making of a meal from an ingredient that saw no middleman between nature and me.
0: So, like the last line there, you talk about the food, and that's the ultimate part of it, but there's so much more than that, so I guess that's that's my feeling. How about you guys i mean what do you what What are your thoughts of when you don't harvest an animal?
1: Well, I went a couple of years without harvesting it was really it was the last two years, and it was uh it 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 was a little bit of sibling rivalry you could say at that point because Pierre. Probably through pure luck, had uh, harvested an animal his first year in DNR program uh, skunk. Since then, as I as I understand it, Alex on the other hand was successful and had been successful, and so I'm not that it's about harvesting the animal or the or the skill of the hunter, but I was starting to get a little bit uh, self conscious about that. Um, but no, in all seriousness, Mark, I mean, I'll parrot what my brother said. It is, I mean, one, and this is something I would say to someone. Thinking about hunting, the the hunt, the kill is is such a small part of the process. It is your senses being alive. It's walking through, going for a hike in April, and suddenly noticing things like, is that a deer trail possibly, or what sort of scat is this, or, um, hey, here's an edge which would probably be a you know a transition zone that might not be a bad place to to set up or or follow up in in October. I mean, that's the that's the beauty of, of this, that, that here we are in, in late August and I'm thinking, huh, you know, I really should probably get out to that public land and take a look around. It's early, probably won't see anything, you know, the, the grasses are growing, but, you know, maybe I can pick something up. And, and uh, so having, I mean, granted, the last two years I've been successful of putting some meat in the freezer, I, I think having crossed that threshold, um, you know, I, I'd i be fine being zeroed out, but you know Darn it! If I'm not going to do everything I can to to line things up, and what that means is doing some work ahead of time, making sure my gun is ready, and spending time in the field. I mean, it's it's such a cliche, but you know, butts in the field, or or, or uh, if you're not out there, you're not going to catch anything <laughs> or, or, or harvest anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, what, what what Jim said, I like that. I'm okay with it because I like being in the woods. I don't know if you can be a hunter if you don't like being in the woods for long periods of time. So, an excuse to sit in the woods for eight or 10 hours for a few days per year, that's fine with me. And it's a gift and great uh, to harvest, and I want to do everything I can. Um, But once I've done that, it's fine. I don't need it to live, but it's great if it happens.
0: Yeah. I don't, you know, and and you don't have, I guess I would say, you know, relative to what you just said, yeah, you don't have to hunt it. You have to eat, though. That's true. And if, and if you're going to eat, you might as well eat, eat the good mm-hmm. stuff, right? Well so. said. <laughs> well, you guys are all going to get out this fall, deer hunting? Okay. Nice. A- uh, separate separate trips or locations or together at all? A couple of you together? Or T- tentatively, the opener together? Okay.
1: Yep. We have a, uh, I mean, lucky enough to have a small place in Wisconsin. However, okay. we have not hunted Wisconsin yet. Yeah. Um, we're about... 30 minutes or so from the Minnesota border. Mm-hmm. And so we take advantage of public land, and um, it's been successful so far. So um, without giving out exact coordinates, no, we're, we're in Pine. I'm just kidding, Mark. Um, anybody can find it, but we're, we've been in Pine County. We've taken advantage of the uh, the, the special hunts, yeah. uh, uh, really, because we started to know St. Croix State Park, which is a, a large state park in 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 Minnesota, through the DNR, Learn to hunt, and and as, as you probably know, you, you can't just walk into a place and set up a stand or or, or, or still hunt or whatnot. So, having some knowledge of it, that's kind of encouraged us to, to put in on those those lottery hunts. So, don't get in every year, but last year we were there, and so we'll be in um, we'll be in you know north, northeast Minnesota this year at least for the opener together.
0: Okay. Good. Well, you'll have to have to let us know what, how it goes and uh, hopefully you get a, get a few deer. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on finally. And, and us have having this conversation, all of you together. This is, this has been fun and I look forward to continuing to hear about new adventures you have out in the field.
2: Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you, Mark.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks for all your uh, efforts with the, the, the DNR in the past and uh, continuing to kind of um, be a proponent of, of harvesting and, and, and eating food kind of close to home.
0: Well, you guys are a great example of a success story of, of programs like DNR and the, the program Jay started and now James runs and, and all the, the good groups out there doing a lot, of, a lot of great things. So thanks a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com.